Broadcasting live from Zombieland, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible women talk about horror. My name's Louisa, and I'm joined by my zombies, Mila, Taya, and Zeba. And this episode is all about zombies. But before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify and or subscribe to us on YouTube and the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. We will begin with the 1974 black exploitation film Sugar Hill, directed by Paul Maslansky. We will then cover the 2016 Korean blockbuster film Train to Busan, directed by Yeon Sang Ho, followed by the 2019 Canadian horror film Blood Quantum, directed by Jeff Barnaby. I don't have any favorite zombie films because I don't like zombie films. I think they're anxiety-inducing. I think they're the only type of horror genre that actually scares me. Here's what I hate. I hate being outnumbered. I hate apocalypse scenarios, because why would you want to live? I hate Mm -hmm. not even, like, the gore. It's just, like, they can't be reasoned with zombies. I hate that. I don't like the thought of having to kill my friends or family. It's all bad. It's all horrible, and there's never a, like... It, there's no end in sight in a like a zombie movie, and I think that is the most anxiety-inducing. It also really triggers my climate anxiety. I don't know why. When I tried to watch Walking Dead, I got climate anxiety for like two weeks after. It was really stressful. Wait, do you mean like climate change? Yes. Okay. Like it. It reminds me like the the waves and like the way that it happens and the way people have to survive really like trigger something in me of like oh no when the tides come in when the continents get smaller I get really stressed about it um so yeah can't watch Walking Dead I really hated this week's film selection why are you stroking your forehead I'm just <laughs> she's like self soothing um how do y'all feel about zombie scenarios I love them I love a zombie film. I was so excited that The Walking Dead was in Atlanta and I could show people and be like, I know where that is. That is where my dorm is. It was the best. I don't know. I just really like them. I think it's interesting. Do you think you'd survive though? For sure. I have this down packed. I have an entire plan. You have a secret plan. She won't tell us. It's a secret plan. How I feel about zombie films is that I haven't watched that many of them because I thought they, I mean... My mind has changed, but I thought they were all boring and the same. Um, And I was really wrong after watching this week's. I feel like I've only ever seen, like, really bad zombie films. Um, Or, like, your typical ones. But they're not all the same. I think Mila and I are probably going to have the same position in that I have absolutely no desire to survive. And I've talked to my friend about... I've talked to my other friend about this, like, when we were watching horror movies. And we're like... We just looked at each other and we're like, why? do they try so hard yeah i agree i mean they'll find a cure though i don't want to be live in that world yeah after i've just watched all my friends torn apart and then and then think about the infrastructure of a zombie world like like at least i can go to walmart so i wouldn't want to survive it i wouldn't want to live in a post-apocalyptic world and in most like horror movie scenarios unless it's like one bad guy or whatever like or i'm just like i do not my will to survive is just not strong enough so i would probably die especially zombies Mm -hmm. especially apocalypse Mm -hmm. because i'm like where's the light at the end of the tunnel where is it i think the only scenario i would try as in some of like in some of these movies where there are children involved and you have to be like a caregiver i I'm barely attached to our current reality. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, like, one, one like, small inconvenience away from just being, like, 
had enough. So a zombie apocalypse? It's a big inconvenience. Hell no. Not with my like deep and visceral fear of bodily parts. Like no way am I going to be able to hack yeah. it. Literally. <laughs> Do you think you could kill a zombie? Like if need be, you know? Sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Sure, sure, like, sure. To defend myself, to defend people I love. Sure, sure, sure. But I don't want to and I'd rather mm-hmm. die. Same. Okay. <laughs> Literally say on this podcast, you know... If someone gave me human flesh, like, I would eat it. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> and act like cannibalism wasn't weird, but you draw the line at killing zombies. No one's drawing any lines. No, we're, we said we don't want to, right? We're not, we don't want to do any of these things. We're begrudgingly agreeing to cannibalism and killing zombies, but we're not going to put ourselves in those situations unless it's absolutely dire. I think it depends, like, what do you view life as? And I view it as I want to have a sofa and I want to be able to watch TV. And if I can't do that, then I <laughs> yes! don't want to do it. The most tourist thing that I've ever heard someone say. And like, you're like, it's, life is not worth living if I can't just chill. And that's so true. <laughs> I always say more like, I don't want to live a life. Like, because obviously if you're, with, I'm assuming like I'm with my friends and I'm, some of them are going to die. And it's like, if I've just seen my, one of my best friends die, it's like, I'm out, I'm out. Like, I I'm not going to, like, who's going to help me with the trauma after having survived But technically, it? that could happen anyway. Like, technically, you could be walking down the street and the same thing could happen. That's it's true, but there's no therapy the in an apocalypse. There's no therapy in an apocalypse. Maybe there's a therapist in your survival camp. Oh my god, can you imagine, wait, guys, can you imagine the infographics during a zombie apocalypse? It's going to be like, five steps if you encounter a zombie here are my sources. If you need help, here's some links to therapy at the end. They can help you. <laughs> Follow me for more. I'm going to be doing a live on my Instagram. I'll tell you how to behead a zombie. No, actually, Instagram lives would be fucking wild because it would be people like, it would, it would be like POV found footage. I'd be into watching that movie low-key, actually. I, I feel like we are all kidding ourselves here because we live in the UK and the US and everyone would be like, the government be like, you got to stay in your house so you don't get bit by a zombie. And everyone be like, I'm not doing that. Let's look at statistically how many of the four of us have gotten COVID. I feel like that's statistically how many of four us would of be. Of us. No, I haven't. Oh, they haven't. I would survive. You could have been asymptomatic, though. That's true. That's fucking that's bullshit true. because I got mine from a kid. So I and I had to work. So. so you got bit by a zombie kid. He sneezed in my face. That's your fate. The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review and give us some praise. And we may just add you to our survival crew, and you'll get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week, potentially. So, this week's Witch of the Week is... Whoosh F. Karnarnarneskaskinen. They say, love it, and they gave us five stars, and they said, I am totally obsessed with this podcast. Such lovely and educated ladies. I really appreciate their perspectives and thoughts on horror and feminism. I think you deserve uh, an unlimited amount of face mask, and I hope you had a really good breakfast. Yeah. I hope that you get your stimulus check this week. If you're not American, I hope that you have finances that make you feel secure. I wish abundance for you and yours and healthy living. Everyone else who's been Witch of the Week is going to be like, damn, I didn't get all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the, lo- for the love witch, we were just like, sorry for your trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Sugar Hill follows Diana Sugar Hill on her grief-stricken quest for vengeance following the murder of her fiancé Langston by a mob boss. 
Diana turns to a voodoo authority for assistance with her revenge and is given an army of zombies to take out her enemies. Meet Sugar Hill. No, please! Not a place, <laughs> but a brand new face. My friends call me Sugar. The foxiest. Looking for anything special? Sexiest. Deadliest chick in town. How did you guys feel about Sugar Hill? I'm about to make a bunch of Disney references. Disney references? Why? I don't really like Disney movies. Princess so this, and the Frog. This hurts. But yeah, the villain in the Princess is and the Frog is based off of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the voodoo god that helped her in this movie. Um, and also, this movie, to me, kind of felt like The Little Mermaid is like a voodoo horror zombie film. Because instead of like bargaining something to get the guy, it was bargaining something to get revenge for his wrongful murder. And um, she was like given assistance, but at the end she had to pay a price for it. And so I was like, ooh, this kind of reminds me of The Little Mermaid. She wasn't silenced, though. She was very outspoken. Yeah, she wasn't silenced, though. That was the only thing. I loved this movie. <laughs> Wait, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That is not what I, I was I texted expecting. the group chat. I said, I have an opinion of this movie that you're not expecting. But I thought it was going to be, I hate it. No, I really liked it. Okay, tell me. Okay. <laughs> I, I found it really cathartic. To watch i just you know in the way that black exploitation is just like ah oh, yeah i get them you know when they say hey whitey i was like i put in my notes <laughs> can we call mila that can that, can that we throw a dresser do it it was it made me laugh out loud i think miss sugar hill is an incredible protagonist i want a poster of her on my wall i i love her i think i think she went in with intention and had no regrets she loved killing people i thought she might have like some character building or something none excellent the voodoo the lore was like low-key accurate like like princess like more accurate than princess and the frog for sure because they have to like disney fight or whatever but like she when she goes to the voodoo lady and she's like, I'm not gonna take you to Papa Legba, I'm not gonna take you to like all these other Arishas that she could take her to. She's like, We're going to the biggest and the baddiest and you're gonna have to make a sacrifice. And it's like that is how you do you like barter for things and like that is how voodoo works. I thought like they just had a low budget, you know what I'm saying? And that's not their fault and the script is is juicy, if not you know, it doesn't have to be groundbreaking is just fun it's just like fun to watch script is juicy it has juicy um juicy. yeah so like the offerings she gave money you could also give rum or tobacco she you know gave herself there i also loved that there's this sort of lore of like trickster gods appear as different people in the world and like you could interact with them they could be a taxi driver they could be somebody you meet on the street it could be that's like how that god appears to you in the world and like how you exchange favors is like maybe you do something kind for like a homeless man you saw on the street and like that is the god in disguise and like that's where you get your blessings from like all of that was very accurate and i so i like appreciated like worked with what they had i really liked all of the characters that he encompassed in the world and where you saw him. The full gold grill was incredible of a costume choice. They made their choices where the budget happened and I appreciated it. Uh, <laughs> the zombies 
I I thought they I appreciated they were unique. They were unlike any zombies I'd ever seen before. They looked cool as hell. I liked their eyes. I liked the eyes. Also, everyone on Twitter is saying that the streets video is a vampire just because he has I don't know. There's nothing to indicate that it's a vampire. Doja Cat absolutely had a Sugar Hill reference in the Streets video. It's 100% a zombie from Sugar Hill. And who's the actor? Interesting that you said Juicy. Yeah, it is Juicy. Um, I, yeah, I had a fun time. It's too slow. It's a short movie and it still feels slow. And I think yeah. there could have been more peaks and valleys to it. But I had a good time. And I kind of want some like paraphernalia, like some posters, some something, some merch. I thought it was a fun movie. It's just there are just some things, obviously, like, it's it's dated. There are some things that you I just cannot vibe with. Um, I agree with you about the eyes, though. I think the eye, I hate eyes, so anything that's, like, weird about eyes. Also, their you, like, hands, when they were grabbing on the massage scene. Okay, but hands aren't my thing. Eyes are, like, a thing that freaks me out. Like, if it's, like, if you, like, show me your eyeball, I don't like So the fact that they're, like, bugging out and silver was, like, ugh. That that freaked me out more than any of the that's other zombies. That's what makes it good. Yeah. So no, that's that's a good thing. This is the praise that I'm giving <laughs> it before I dive <laughs> dive in. Um. Okay. First of all, like the blatant colorism. Oh yeah, always. <laughs> but <laughs> oh yeah, always. Excessive use of the N word as well, um, which is just uncomfortable and not needed. Like it was just thrown in there like fucking pepper on a fucking plate. Just a bare plate, empty plate. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of a dish. She rolled enough. with the analogy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Pepper on a dish. And I was just, I don't know, that was disturbing to me. But yeah, and there was this one line where um, Celeste, I believe that was the mobster's girlfriend, let, let's say. Um, and she, he was like insulting her, the mobster. And he was like, no. He said something about call class sugar is classy and then she said it's not class it's color and then he was like well you could use some of that and i was like is it color because she's so she's like borderline white passing like it cracks me up i actually i looked it up i looked it up i was like i I was really confused because i did not and i don't mean this in an offensive way i don't know if it is but i feel like as another white passing individual i can perhaps say it that i fully thought i was a fake tan I thought they just put some. I'm sure they did. I'm 100% sure they did. I feel like they did it during the scenes where she had the afro because the, I feel like she looked. She looked darker, darker though when she had scenes. the blonde wig on, though, because the bl- the hair was so light. Also, the usage of the afro in general. Yeah, I have some. I have a lot of stuff on that from various different critics, but yeah, which basically. There's, like, a collection of them that sort of say the same thing. We have, like, Ben Schaff, Brooks, and our. Um, legacy dr robin armin's coleman um and they all sort of talk about how obviously it's offensive that like the afros um the afro hair happens and jungle beats as well when she's committing murders um it's kind of like she's at her most wild when she's like doing it she's also at her most powerful so it's like this weird negotiation or trade-off but i think one of the critics let's see it's brooks says like Sugar's potential as a subversive character is heavily muted by black exploitation gender dynamics because she's promoting like sexual stereotypes of black women. Dr. Coleman also like agrees with that. She's like a sort of voodoo sex pot is what she the term that she uses and it kind of feeds into the hypersexual controlling media images of black women as outlined by Patricia Hill Collins. The sexualization and the colorism are my 
my main critiques. I have some more, but like, yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, I I pretty much had the same thoughts, especially because it was written and directed by white men. I think um, anytime there's like a a white person making a film and they're like, just throw the N-word in there as many times as possible. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And also like the sexualization felt like it was sexualization specifically because it was a black woman in the film. Like, even the outfit that they had her on that was, like, very Elvisy with, like, her boobs out that was, like, very tight. And she was killing people. I was like, I don't know that that would be the most comfortable thing to wear in this scenario. I do get it was, like, supposed to be very campy. <laughs> and camp yeah. things are a bit more, like, exaggerated and everything. But it was just a lot of, like, blatant sexualization. Also, like, the usage of sex as payment and stuff felt a bit um, interesting. Uh, there were just some points that I just felt like I can tell this was written by men and more specifically white men and it made it made me find it less enjoyable because I could tell some of the stuff was intentionally done to be racist or stereotypical or offensive in general like the hair choice with her hair being straight when she's like around people and moving through society and then being wild and having jungle beats when she's killing people it felt like uh the barbarian stereotype being thrown out especially since people have so many stigma to there's so much stigma around black hair and saying like afros aren't professional and yeah i just (laughs) i didn't like that i don't think the film was bad and i didn't dislike it as much as black yellow though i agree about the sex for payment i think what was it in like sort of one of the episodes we had i think it was horror noir where we had like you get like empowerment but at the expense of sexism and I think that's kind of the situation like here. All, almost every movie we've had with sex in it. I don't think that this movie is empowering at all, though, because yeah. I don't think uh, empowering content can be made from people who are the oppressor on a low budget in this time period. Like it, it's it's giving like teeth to me, or like yeah. um, any film with sex at the center. It's been like an exchange. Doctor Coleman says that like. Celeste being sort of sold into what is presumed to be sex slavery is like undoubtedly like objectifying and sexist but like a reversal of what like would happen to black women and so in that way the fact it's a reversal is kind of like empowering but then sort of my critique back at that was that I don't think that you know mimicking the actions of your oppressor is not um empowering I don't think I want an overturning of the system I don't think it's empowering i don't think it's supposed to be empowering i think it's supposed to be subversive i don't think it lands subversive but i think the intention of all of it is just like but isn't subversive kind of empowering no subversive is just supposed to be like meant to call your attention to something i feel like there's yet to be a horror film that i think like zabel was saying that is empowering that uses sex at all i think i I just don't feel like people know how to write that topic well i mean we did say we thought black christmas the original was a bit um, that was also like the same 74 wasn't it same year it was just the time for that you know but even when there was the black black christmas remake where they were intentionally trying to be empowering it just didn't (laughs) land so i think that's that's an area that everyone needs to work on uh not consensual I'm trying. I'm really trying to think of an even one that we haven't talked about. It follows was slightly different. I feel like that could turn into 
a reversal of empowerment if the film itself was different. Like, if it was a girl who uh, passed this to, like, shitty boys who overly emphasized how body count needed to be low for women, then I guess that could be empowering. I don't think anything is really empowering, to be honest. Like, I don't, I think we, I maybe that's like a fault of feminism that we're always like chasing after empowerment. And I feel like we can't, we can't achieve something that's empowering for every woman at the same time. There's also something to be said about like in horror, and we're trying to think of a horror movie that does this, the sex horror intersection is like Mm -hmm. always going to be a problem. But because like horror is porn. And like, I, all right. and I, I am a consumer of both horror and porn. And I feel like I view much of my media with the male gaze. Like, I think I enjoy that content. It like feels not cathartic. It's like not relatable. It's like, I don't want to be in these scenarios. But I think that's also how like a lot of men watch media, horror and porn included. And it's like, that's how they direct it. And that's how they write it. And that's how the camera looks is also how I see the world. And it's really like difficult to untangle but I feel like I can't step away from a movie and like having liked the experience having been entertained by the experience and then be like "Mm, but I shouldn't have liked it because it's like I have to sit there and be like I both see myself on the screen and objectify myself on the screen like I this is why porn is so controversial in a way especially since people are being more drawn to like more violent sexual acts as we've seen on social media and tiktok And I think part of it does come from the link between horror and sex and also like pain and sex that we see in horror and also in pornography. And uh, even though that is interpreted as empowering to some people, there's like very contrasting views on how that relationship works because there is like some people who view this as an empowering take back of things. And then there's some people who are saying, no, you're just letting men objectify you or be very cruel to you so it's like such a double-edged sword between if women are allowed to enjoy things or if they're meant to immediately view them as something they shouldn't enjoy and something that they should view as like an act of terror especially when you're like consumer and creator because i think a lot of folks who like have like only fans or whatever i'm back to porn but it's like related it's (laughs) like if they are making content catered towards a very niche audience because like they have subscribers or whatever how are you going to tell them that the thing that makes them the most money is like not empowering for them or somebody else you know what i mean yeah and it's like black exploitation is a very niche market it like and it's like low budget in the same way that porn is like low budget i think i should maybe clarify in the sense that I don't hate it, and I'm not trying to say, like, I don't like it because it's not empowering Or in this instance. As in, I, that was a separate point about how the overturning there was a bit of annoying to me, and that I just cannot, couldn't really vibe with, like, because I feel like Celeste's, like, punishment is meant to be, like, a revenge thing as well, and I was just like, oh, but as, like, another woman, I know that she's racist, but I just can't, like, vibe with rape being used as a punishment. That also happens in American Horror Story. Does that not happen with Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen in American Horror Story? Was there not a situation where, like, she's, like, punishing white women and she has, like, that beast that she's in charge yes. of? Yes. Yes, she does. Yep. Yeah. That's also a, yep. voodoo, a voodoo sex correlation directed by a white man. They're, they do the exact same thing. I think they also kind of use that in a way on the same season, Coven, um, 
with Emma Roberts' character. I can't remember her name. I think it was Madison. When she goes to the frat party and she gets sexually assaulted and then they're like, oh, look how powerful she is post the sexual assault. She can bring people back to life. And she also killed all these yeah. like guys on the frat bus. And I was like, I don't like rape revenge stories. <laughs> I mean, I don't really consume porn because I just don't enjoy looking at violence. I say this as I watch horror movies and I'm on a horror podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be violent. And the way that horror doesn't have to be violent, it can be... But I feel like even like porn that is directed by women is still like obviously from the male gaze in a way that I just don't really enjoy. I think the things that are most empowering to me is like financial independence, which has nothing to do with sex. I don't think that's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things, things like with empowerment. Okay. But again, this is like what I don't know if it was Mila Louise was saying, where like nothing is going to be empowering to every woman. And I think people are allowed to like whatever they find em- empowering. Some people are going to be like, I find it empowering to have a sugar daddy and spend up his money because of the patriarchy. And some people are going to say, I think it's empowering to make your own money and be a business owner. No mistake. I am not a girl boss. I don't want to run a business. No. <laughs> <laughs> Taya said, no mistake. That shit's not empowering. And I do not stand <laughs> with it. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you look at like the past, whatever, 50 years of women in film who are either remembered or like pushed as empowering they always have to be intelligent or strong in a pair of high heels and they've got to look good so like I think it was Zabra who said right at the beginning that and Louisa you mentioned with the idea that we have to sort of sacrifice our sexuality for power and we can't ever like we can't separate the two I feel in a similar way towards the whole like bimbo conversation on tiktok how women are saying like it's empowering for me and other women are being like but individual action is not like exempt from a community or how we you know a patriarchy works and there's that kind of divide and i feel like that's true it's hard to then look and be like this was in the 70s how do we consume it now yeah can we enjoy anything i don't know i don't know anymore i consume most like media that's or cultural whatever that's been made prior like if it's dated as you would if if it was the time or you look at it retrospectively no i said i i I forgive it as in like there are things i allow that i would not allow at all for sure it was made right now 100 percent for sure now black exploitation like there are things that i allow that i would like yeah yeah celeste you know you really ought to try and show some manners even if you don't know what they are get out of here Leave. Funny. I get the feeling that you forget this is my club. And you're the one that's on her way out. Don't you get uppity with me. Uppity? (laughs) With you. My dear, talking to you means I look nowhere but down. I have a great segue to the next movie, Train to Busan, along this topic that we're on. As we were talking about, like, the complexity of womanhood and how it's very hard because people feel like you're not allowed to like one thing and women are, like, bullied for every single thing that they like, there was a popular book that came out, I think, like, a few years ago in Korea called Kim ji Young, Born in 1982, and it was extremely controversial because it was seen as very, uh, very feminist and critiquing. Uh, like Korean housewife life and how as a woman you're like expected to give up things 
but the book is about um like she has a breakdown and starts to imagine herself as like multiple women in her life and forgets who she is which is uh after like two women mock mock her for being a housewife buying um ice cream with her husband's money and sitting on a park bench and i think like somewhere somewhere along the lines of empowerment we kind of forgot that different things are empowering for different people and kind of just sometimes make fun of other women for their the thing that makes them feel empowered whether it be like being an influencer girl and taking bikini pics or being a housewife and like whatever makes someone happy they should be allowed to do that thing as long as it's not harming any person or detrimental to society um and i don't think any of those things are i don't think it really matters like what your kink is unless it's something too far or whether cannibalism by <laughs> murder whether you're buying ice cream with your husband's money or whether you're raising your kids or whether you're a working mom or whether you don't want to have kids none of that shit matters and i think train to busan also comments the, the same way in society because the father has such a complex relationship with his daughter you know how we were saying the other day like i can't forgive second or third wave feminism was it for making us think that like equality is women going to work or having and it's like of great it's wonderful to have opportunities to pursue like careers and stuff and to be included and stuff like that however i just it's also like as proved with corona and statistics the burden of child rearing still falls on like women and uh so all that's really happened to some women now have to do like double the friggin' work so it's like what have what has been achieved like you you did it wrong and this is kind of in relation to our conversation about empowerment this is what happens when the monolith of empowerment is defined by a sort of capitalist relation Mm -hmm. i think this came from the the feminist mystique though which was also a very not racially inclusive book and honestly very like middle class oriented for middle class white women where it was like if you're a housewife you should feel bad because you should be working and you're oppressed and that is just not true it really annoys me that people have that point of view because you can do whatever you want like some people feel very empowered by raising their children and raising children is really fucking hard like it's not Mm -hmm. a task for you just sit around all day and watch tv and spend your husband's money and who gives a fuck if you do because it's it's communal money (laughs) but it is hard to raise a child and make sure that they're a good person like that is absolutely ridiculous that people rush it off as like so worthless in addition to that there are some women who are stay-at-home moms who shame people for working and make them feel like less than a mother and that's also not fair it's also doesn't matter if you spend your husband's money because it's communal money and men have no problem spending their wives money or reminding them that it's they make the money like i think people should spend their fucking money that's the other problem of like this weird feminism we have where it's like talking about pay gap and now we have a lot of guys being like so would you split the bill i'm like no bitch because you probably earn way more than me like (laughs) you should pay back to the narrative of uh father and daughter we're gonna go ahead and bridge into train to busan Train to Busan is a South Korean horror film centering on the relationship between a daughter, Suwon, and her workaholic father, Sakwoo, after her parents' divorce. The zombie outbreak begins from a chemical leak and finds its way all around South Korea quickly. The father and daughter duo, along with other passengers, must work through their differences and shortcomings to survive the most terrifying ride of their lives. <laughs> Get out of the 
Okay, now let's talk about how this all made us fucking cry. Oh, yeah. I'm so shocked because I don't think a horror has ever made me, like, cry. I think maybe, like, they have some sad scenes. Like, maybe I well up, but I have never sobbed at a horror. Like, I ugly Kim Kardashian cried, like, for for several minutes. Like, it was, like, it just streams. So, I think this was a phenomenal film. Like, I, I've never had a horror have that kind of effect. So, for that... It's amazing. I watched it a year ago. Um, <laughs> you didn't watch I, it because even though it. no, I didn't watch it again. Like I don't want to do. I don't want to relive that. Like it really did. Like Louisa said, leave me kind of sobbing. It, I think it's like a bit of a betrayal for any horror because they go in being like zombies, gore, maybe a little smattering of social commentary, and then it's like, by the way, I'm gonna leave you crushed. I think that is a that's a Korean movie thing though. Like I don't know if you guys have seen. Uh... The movie, the host, <laughs> yeah. the host. Sorry, the end. The host. About to also, say, yeah. He does this. The, it's the same thing. There's a lot of films where like the parent dies or the grandparent dies in the process of everything that goes on. Um, I think it's just like the emotional heart tug with the horror really works. But like even beyond that, the character building of the like auxiliary characters is so quick and so precise. And like it, and the little the little hints that they give you, just like overheard conversations, and like before like shit starts to go down, just sort of like the things that you learn about everybody in the different cars, all of those things when they piece together, just like makes everything that much more brutal. Like for me, it was like the million little deaths that got to me even more than like the grand finale, you know. I really cried uh, during the scene where the guy and guy dies whose wife is pregnant and she's like crying he tells her the daughter their child's name that one that really hurt because sucks. i was like yeah. i thought it was a great contrast to her dad's eventual sacrifice at the end just because this was a man who like really wanted to be a dad and he never got the chance so when you have that sacrifice at the end it's like oh like that's what being a protector and a dad is and like he's finally embodied what that was meant to be in his commitment to his child in a way that he didn't initially have even in that scene where uh they go up to the the station and um like he tells her to like stay there and don't move and i mean he said it lovingly whatever but when he tells her to do that and then they realize all the soldiers are um turned into zombies and he's like running but not fast enough and the guy whose wife is pregnant and his wife saved his daughter I think that was also just the symbolic thing of he's on this journey he's running to like become the dad that he needs she needs him to be in the situation but he's just not quite there yet but this man was already ready and like his final act as a protector really just made me be like he should have been a dad (laughs) unfortunately he just didn't get the chance and I was sobbing at that scene He's one of those characters, though, and this isn't a flaw because I don't mind some predictability in horror films, but as soon as, like, when he started, like, punching a zombie, I was like, oh, he's going to die. Because, like, you know that, like, extra heroic character mm-hmm. who's, like, in horror, and you're like, I just know that you're going to die and it's going to be a self-sacrifice. So I was kind of prepared for it, so I don't think it quite got me in this. I get, like, it's terribly sad, but I think because I was expecting it, I wasn't so, like... I was emotionally prepared for that. There were so many other characters, like like, like the train conductor. When he started, he said, I'm going to switch trains. I said, boy, you really came to work today. Like he said, <laughs> <laughs> I was 
floored by that, by that sacrifice. Like, and also the, the, like, little bits of humanity or, like, humanity or, I don't know, is dishumanity a word that you get to see? So, like, the sisters, the ones, the elderly. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Like, like that very human moment of giving up we've talked about we we would love to give up in a zombie scenario but then the like in contrast all these people who are so heroic and so self-sacrificing makes that one evil little man so evil because like everyone else is so human and so caring for each other and even though like and, and and you know when there's a mob mentality there's that moment of everybody sort of turns on each other but there are moments where it's like yo i cannot imagine even having the state of mind to to have kindness right now or like compassion right now so then that evil man just really took me out i think there are two big uh commentaries on like south korean society as a whole and i guess it could be society as a whole but um the first one being like the characters in this film that I feel like are the most uh, or appear to be the most working class tend to be the nicest while you have that card of all the rich people who are like I'm willing to let everyone die as long as we live and I think uh in a society like South Korea where there is like all the image culture and all the class divide that we see a lot in like Bong Joon-ho's films as well. I thought that was a really interesting way to show how the rich are always going to be self-preserving no matter at what cost because obviously like they knew none of those people were infected. He had his arm through the door and they were like we will cut off your arm. We don't care. I just thought that that was very interesting and another one was uh, the military commentary of uh you see just this army of young men who were innocently just doing their military time because that's the way that the military works they're um and they're all turned into zombies and then you see the few little the few baseball players being forced to uh sort of become their own army in a way and i just thought that was an interesting interesting thing with uh, how young the military in South Korea is and it, it kind of just pulled my heartstrings because usually like people do one year of university and then they'll take off the two years to just go do the military duty and then come back and finish so it's like these are like university age students that are like all dead so that that really hurt but it's the same way in the U.S. where the military is like if you want free college, go in the military and they start that in high school. But I mean, college isn't free in Korea because you went in the military. <laughs> but everyone's just so young, it really hurt. I think that was one of the most shocking parts to me is when like, so they arrive at the train station and it's empty. I think, I think this really gets at what scares me about zombie movies in particular is like the fall of infrastructure and the fall of the safety nets of society that you relied on. When that military turns around and they are zombified, I was like, fuck. Like I've seen this movie twice now and both times I'm like, no, because like I hate the military, right? I'm an abolitionist. I don't like the military, but in a zombie scenario, I, I was like, well, thank God the military's there. And when the military was bad, I was like, no, what do you mean? And then I sort of had like I I again 
I got like COVID anxiety. I got climate anxiety because it's like like to think <laughs> like the parallels between like what yeah. happens when public transportation shuts down. What happens when the government when they say trust the government, the military is coming after you. Like don't listen to rumors. The WhatsApp aunties during this would be going nuts. Like that's when society <laughs> is like truly falling apart. And I think that is what scares me more than the actual zombies. Like more than the gore, more than anything else is like. Yo, when the when the government is not only not protecting you, but, like, turning on you, it's like, oh, no, that's... And I know that to be true, and that's what's so scary, is, like, I know that to be a truth of the world already. This film's so impressive because it weaves the idea of fatherhood and then widens it to the concept of just care and community in general. The scene that I thought was really interesting that I was trying to make sense of was, like, the final phone call that... Um, the protagonist has with his the grandmother and he says and she starts like oh she she starts off really loving and she's like take care of her you know like and then she as she's turning because you kind of can hear snarls in the background and she starts to seem a bit funny she says i love her so much but she only wants her mom that bitch and it's just like i was like wait what and then i was like okay so some the zombie outbreak is like i think they're constructed as like a metaphor almost for like bad parenting like it affects your your drive it affects your like ability to care for somebody like she turns into like a sort of warped grandmother figure and then I thought this was interesting considering like the fact that there's a pregnant couple who are like part of the survival crew because I was like perhaps that like literal rebirth like it's a second chance to get parenting right it's a second chance to care in a different manner and alongside that you have the workaholic father who's so consumed by capitalism um, he starts off as like kind of a villain who's willing to like leave everybody behind, um, and then he's yeah. So his sort of gradual transformation to scenes to realizing that he can only get out of this situation if he has a more caring community outlook um, and works with other people instead of having this like individualistic capitalist mentality that he's so used to. And then more broadly, there's this idea because the daughter says like you only care about yourself, and that's why mom left. So work is the reason that like their family broke apart so this zombie apocalypse seems like to be like a reset button um so that the human race can sort of start over and reprioritize and i thought that was also symbolized by the fact that the train is literally going to meet the mother it's like symbolically real like his ex-wife it's kind of symbolically reuniting the family and i wondered if that was like symbolic of korea and it's i'm not so like so familiar with the history but i thought it was maybe symbolic because it's so divided like obviously north and south like i think we've talked about it before um that there's like some sort of like division or family vibes like metaphors used to talk about the country's division in general so i thought this was really interesting use of the zombie and family i think it's a an interesting like metaphor to consider when watching any Korean film because I think even if that wasn't the intent of the director like a country whose recent history is so painful I, I think that a Korean audience can't help but make those kind of connections but in terms of like the portrayal of capitalism and like the evil you know company guy Keith Wagner he wrote like, a volume on Korean cinema and he talks about Train Busan in relation to capitalism and how it's portrayed in the film. The zombie genre as a like film genre, we think of something like very American, um, even though like the roots aren't American. It's like become a sort of staple of American genre filmmaking and a way that this film 
localizes it is by using its experience with capitalism and neoliberalism in relation to America. And it's like really significant because 2016, like that period of time in Korea, the president who was impeached in 2016 and she was sort of like wrapped up in like huge corruption scandal and mismanagement and a very important like event that happened during her presidency was a ferry disaster that killed over 300 people and the majority of which were high school students and a lot of the reasons for why it was such an awful tragedy was because of like underfunding mismanagement loads of like neoliberal capitalism sort of seeping its way into private companies and like it really obviously shook the nation um so Wagner like draws a lot of comparison between the idea of like disaster management in this film Train to Busan the military and the government and private companies and how they all had a play into how this like completely spins out of control and I really liked I remembered it because he pointed out like in one of the I think it's the opening shot there's like a dummy a safety dummy and he was like this sort of like symbol this impression of safety and regulation for a Korean audience would be like it it wouldn't it would just so obviously be like (laughs) incorrect wait so what do you make of what do you make of the dad being involved with the the zombie outbreak like in his company yeah I think that that like I don't think it so much as affects his like uh narrative as a father yeah but I think it's like more part of the social commentary underneath I actually was in Korea for the fall of 2016 uh, so I saw all of the protests that went on for the, against the president there. But yeah, I definitely really like both of the points that you guys made. I think it was also interesting to see the concept of what a provider is, because I think uh, it's, it's very common in Korean society. I think in Korea, it's still very much like the father is meant to be the provider, but not necessarily in the way that he provides care. It's a financial relationship and I think uh, this movie is a very interesting way to critique that loving your family and providing for your family isn't just financial it has to be emotional it has to be protection it has to be like this softness that I don't think I mean fathers anywhere are great at providing I thought it was funny when the grandma said uh, that bitch on the phone because uh, people always people always comment on like how awful mother-in-laws can be in general. So I felt like it was like her blaming her son's failure to be there for his daughter as like, oh, it's just that bitch turning her turning your daughter against you, which is like, even though you're not being there emotionally, it's it's all her fault. And I thought it was funny to be like a funny joke of like, mother-in-laws just suck (laughs) what you were saying about like providing is more than just financial and i thought like the friggin the friggin song scene man like that guilt that's induced when she said he's like why did why didn't you finish your song at the recital like i saw on the recording you didn't finish the song and she's like because you weren't there because he was working um that like honestly it was just like and he like realizes like oh shit i've really fucked up with my priorities here and then at the end, when she starts singing it, um, like, that horrible, horrible, honestly, I mean, excellent, excellent filmmaking, but horrible emotions, because I was like, but I thought it kind of symbolized the fact that, like, 
she's able to finish her song and that's actually what ends up saving them from the military from who would have shot them dead the fact that she can finish her song and if her song was divided her song was incomplete before because of like his subpar parenting now it's complete so that was what again that made me think is about parenting and think this I, I i honestly love the idea of her singing the song and the completion of everything here because i think it's necessary to be honest i think sacrifice and parenting is legitimately just linked to motherhood and mm-hmm. so it's it's like as we said when we saw alien or even in this the instance of like the pregnant woman in this movie like if something goes wrong the mom is always expected to die and like save her unborn child or save go out of her way to save a child even if it's not her so i thought like the sacrifice of the father was necessary in this situation where we can see that he wasn't present also another thing i think that people can take away from this movie which isn't like (laughs) Uh, the main point or anything is just to be appreciative of the people that love you because I think uh, maybe his daughter didn't feel that he loved her um, because he was never there but I think everyone has different styles that they express how they love people and for some people it is like driving myself into a job that I hate every day because I want to make sure you have every single thing you could ever possibly want in this world and sometimes I think that we forget that that is also love whether it be uh, with a parent or like a partner. And it's like sometimes people say, oh, I want a rich wife, I want a rich husband, I want a rich partner. And you don't ever think about the other things that you want them to have. Or you'll see like a kid at school who's really rich and has all these things, but they'll be envious that your parents pay attention to you and show up to your recitals. So I think everything has a sacrifice, but we always just have to be grateful for the ways that people show up for us and the way that they love us and try to meet them in the middle and find ways to compromise he had too much love for her she had two we's two we's of love that's (laughs) that's one way to look at it that's true you could look at it as like he was caring for her in one way financially but it was just the fact that he had absolutely none of the other incompatible love languages thinking a huge gesture will make everything okay and not necessarily checking to see if that's actually what the child Mm -hmm. wants or needs some people love that though some people really respond to gifts isn't that a love language Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is my it's my aunt i've never met anyone who had that as their number one love language and then i met my aunt and i was like oh (laughs) Oh, no my dad's a gift giver for sure he gives really good a gift giver but have you had someone that's like number one give me a gift because i know loads of people that are gift givers i think think i'm a gift giver strange i'm a terrible receiver i think it's i think it's strange to be your number one because it's like you won't accept any other kind of love (laughs) (laughs) it's like a god like a sacrifice like come with me bring me something and then maybe we'll talk my point was stupid after all of your lovely reflection and appreciation i was just gonna be like this is scary as fuck because it's on a train. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's because you live in England. Our trains are fucking sad. No, I literally thought about that. I was like, if my life depended on a successful journey with a TF fucking L, I would be dead. <laughs> like, 
also the fact that you're not like guaranteed a seat on those trains and so like sometimes you get on them and they're so crowded that you have to stand up until someone gets up i remember this goes back to my covid anxiety of like i remember i used to commute into soas like most days of the week on a train where it would be standing only both ways some days like so packed so crowded and then people did not give a shit about my life like i promise you if something bad happened and like one time when i was commuting into new york when i was doing that commute i fainted on the train and no one fucking helped me that's terrible yeah yeah i've actually had a similar experience with london actually i was like i didn't faint but i was like Unfucking well like I was about to faint so I had like head between my legs and like every and I was like I was probably visibly unwell and like no one offered a seat and then I finally got one and I was like head between my legs and everyone just kind of like they no probably thought you were gonna cares. turn into a zombie that's why this movie is brilliant because I feel like there I is still... a lot of care and there's a lot of redeeming um qualities and humanity displayed but it's also like there are some people like the evil people I'm like and the people who like are become like a sort of mob mentality and self-preservation and they're like yeah Lock them out, lock them out. And it's, like, heartbreaking. I was like, that's absolutely realistic. That's how people in the West act. Coronavirus showed us all that South Korea had an excellent response to coronavirus. And that is why they can live their lives normally. Because everyone had it unlocked. Everyone actually cared about the safety of other people in the country. And the the government worked excellently with the COVID hotels, the quarantining, the apps. It was on point. 100%. Claps to you, claps to Taiwan. However, all of Europe and the US, y'all fucked up. <laughs> and it showed how individualist <laughs> yeah, societies suck. I have, I just remembered, I have a real zombies on a train story. No, you what? don't, but go on. We can't quite <laughs> believe you that. <laughs> so you know how in London, also in New York, I think they do this when they have like theme pub crawls. So so it was a, it was the zombie pub crawl night. Um, I was coming back at like, I was, I was on the overground at like, maybe like 11, 1130. It wasn't super late, but there were two zombies left over from like this citywide zombie pub crawl. I'd seen other zombies out in the day, but there was like a couple, there was like a couple who was on this train and the one guy, I don't know. I mean, he, they were both drunk, but they didn't seem like incapacitatedly drunk they were just having a conversation and then this guy faints just like out and out faints and everyone's like whoa wow and he's dressed like a zombie it's like it's a big drama <laughs> and he like gets up and he's like he's like oh i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine everyone's like okay whatever and then he faints again and everyone's like oh shit <laughs> Okay, get him some water. I think somebody found some like soda. Like I think he was diabetic. I think he was having a blood sugar problem oh, too. Right, okay. Oh, and then nice. he's like, he's like, no, no. Everyone's like, dude, are you fine? Everyone was there was care. Everyone was like looking out because he had made friends, you know, by this point in the train ride. <laughs> and then he faints a third time. <laughs> it was so dramatic every time because his eyes would like roll back in his head and he's like zombified. It was really scary. <laughs> and so the next stop comes and he's like everyone like what do you want to do he's like it's not my stop he's like i want to get off i want to get off and like be in the fresh air and everyone's like bet and i think his friend came with him and some like other kind humans like got off with him and made sure he was all right and like got his blood sugar up but it was really scary um hearing you say this reminds me of this time where i was on the tube in london and this uh homeless man got on the train and he had like one of the cups and he was asking people for money but as he was walking by the people who were like way 
in front of me because I was like towards the part where it's like the door going to the next cart. Uh, So he's walking and everyone just is like screaming as he's walking by. And I'm like, are they doing because he's black? But I was like, surely not because there's other black people on the on the tube. And so then he walks past me. (laughs) He walks past me and the entire back of his head is like burst open um, because he had apparently fallen. And there's like blood dripping down and everyone's freaking out and screaming. And everyone's like, is there a doctor? Is there a doctor? And oh my god. Like no one's phones awesome. worked in the in the tube. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's just freaking out, like, oh my god, like what are we gonna do? And he's like, I'm just gonna go to the next cart, like, it's fine. And they were like, No, you have to go to the hospital and he's like, I don't have healthcare and they're like, everyone has NHS. <laughs> it was Yeah. Horrifying. But like a guy and a couple of other dudes got off the train with him to just walk him up to the hospital. But this was like near Victoria ish. It was absolutely wild, but I completely forgot about this as Ava said that. Oh but I guess God. there is some care because they got off with a random stranger whose head was busting. I have a deep fear of other people's blood, though, so I did not get off the train. I'm so sorry. I did <laughs> give him some money, though. But I'm like, other people's blood, I don't know what's in it. <laughs> but that's why this movie is so good, because it's a perfect divide of, like, who would be... who. I, it's like a reasonable realistic-to-me proportion of who would be caring and who would be a fucking, like, self-preservation dick. It's also a, a question of, like, who is considered, like, essential enough to save and who's considered disposable. Because, like, so often mm. in zombie movies, you're like, yeah, the old guy, just let, like, he's not going to run fast enough anyway. We can't take care of him. In all fairness, like, I, I, if it's any man, I'm not going to get off anywhere with him. I, I can't. Like, I'm too afraid of men in general. So, like, no. Like, even if they were like, we won't take you to safety, I would be like, I guess I'm going to die. Like, my mind is just like, I, I can't foresee that happening. That's, do you see, Louise, you have a question on here that says, would you guys have opened the door or shut it? Oh, yeah, that was about the yeah individualism point. Like, in that, you know, when they're, I think, I think I was referring to that scene where they, they're like, no, you might have been bitten. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I think I, I would have let them in, but I would have yeah, made them strip. I would have made them be, I would have been like, show me and make sure you weren't bitten. I would have said, yeah, you can come in, but we're going to put you to one side and like kind of block it off with everyone's luggage and then wait and see if you turn and then you can come to gym pop. I feel like stripping is like a little bit too degrading. So no, <laughs> I, I don't mean, pass. guys, whoa, I don't mean like, no, it's not like fucking prison. <laughs> I just meant like, I'd want them to like, just show me your like shirt, like our arms make, yeah, like. <laughs> Make sure you don't have any bite marks. Not like fucking drop them. Like <laughs> someone play pony, bite anyone. <laughs> oh, stop it. We're, how did we get here? But seriously, this is why I don't want to experience any kind of survival situation because I think if you're in a, it, I don't want to have to decide between my life and others. I don't think that's. I, mm. I don't want to have to do that. That sounds like a, um, just an a bad time to be fair like anyone that i came across like if i was in a situation where i could help people i would still just help them or like if they needed me to shoot some zombies to help them get away absolutely i would be very skeptical about joining another person's survival camp though because they could be cannibals or they could be like using people for bait or something so i think i'd be skeptical in that regard of like join another another group um but like letting people in and stuff, nah, I think that'd be fine. But I do, I do see, um, I don't see that it would be a very good situation if something like that broke out here. I think this was an interesting movie and apparently they're making an American remake. Really don't need to. Oh. 
Oh, like, <laughs> they really don't need to. But I, I honestly hope if they're making an American remake to it, which they are, that they are honest to how people are in America because it's very clear <clears throat> that people do not care about the collective in the U.S. is very indivi- individualistic or either centered around I only care about people who look like me, which I guess in a homogenous homogenous society, it's not as much of that like factors of like oh I'm only saving people who are also white or I'm only saving people who are also ex ethnicity or something there's not as much of that um but I I just think in general uh people care more about the collective in South Korea I'm not romanticizing Korea anyway because every place has its own issues I just need to briefly say Gongyu is extremely attractive and we need to give him his flowers because we forgot to talk about how attractive that man is. He's perfect. His face was sculpted by the gods. He saved a country in his past life to be blessed with that face. And wow. he deserves the praise for it. Wow. I never really got the hype. And for some reason, watching him like kill zombies was what I needed. He's perfect. I watched him in Coffee Prince when I was like in high school. And I was like, oh, he's okay. And then I became like an adult. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> And I, I think with with uh, when I became of age and I my eyes were of able age. to see, <laughs> I, I got age. it. <laughs> when your skull finally closed. Can we talk about Blood Quantum? <laughs> Blood Quantum is a Canadian horror film set on the Red Crow Indian Reserve in Quebec. After a Zed virus breaks out, members of the Red Crow community realize they are immune to the virus while white people are not. After setting up a survival reserve, chaos ensues when outsiders bring in the virus and cause a breakdown in everything the community worked hard to build. Bodies are starting to pile up faster than we can bury them, so we might have to spark up those pyres again, regardless of who sees them. We were getting the same problem on the bridge. Zed's been coming in towny side nonstop. We were wasting an ammo, trying to keep them from ramping up the blockade. Bumper found a way around that without having to fire a single shot or mop up a single body. I think that I liked this film because I thought it... <laughs> Shut up. Why are you acting so shy about it? Say it with your yeah. chest if you liked it. I liked this film because I thought, um, even though I did think the character Lysol was definitely an obvious villain in it, I do think that his initial anger for letting in the outsiders was interesting and valid because they honestly did ruin the community but I thought that this was a great way to show how the destruction of white men bringing in diseases into community communities is definitely a metaphor for exactly what they literally did to native populations in America even so much as turning communities against each other um, that were very strong knit and built off of like a very uh, communal sense and I think even the presence of, what was the guy's name? With the pregnant girlfriend? Like, even with his girlfriend there the entire time, I just felt, I don't know. I was like, she just feels so entitled in this space that I was just not feeling it. And I thought that, like, everyone's anger was valid in that situation. Bringing in people who could have been infected or were infected was just so dangerous. But I also do see the humanity of it, like we said, with Train to Busan. But in this scenario, I guess the danger was not so much as in catching the disease. It was more of like having them eat you alive, which was even worse. Can I address like the hugest plot hole right off the bat? Because I don't know how long I want to be on it. The film is called 
blood quantum. Yes, there's only white and indigenous people in this movie. Where is everyone else? Are they zombies? I had zombies? the exact same thought. So you need to either put me in a place or a time where that is the world building. If you do that, great. I'm on board. There's no one else. But I need you to like, if we're t- especially defining indigeneity is so tricky. So like, for example, in Africa, are they all right? If you're indigenous to Africa, if you're like hanging out there, like what is it? Or is it just this tribe? Is it the whole world and just this tribe? Also, we're, <laughs> it, is it, if this is set in 2020 or whenever it's supposed to be. It's in the 80s. Oh, the 80s. Either way. Is it? Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Guys, it says it at the beginning. Whenever it was set, why are we not acknowledging the amount of white blood and indigenous communities already? Already. That is the point of like blood <laughs> quantum politics is like is like who is considered a part of the tribe is it does it come from a maternal line does it come from a paternal line every tribe has like different rules for like how that works and like quite frankly some places are like listen we've been so ravaged by colonialism it doesn't matter if you're three quarters white you know you've grown up around here it's fine some places are like absolutely not we we are absolutely have to have a certificate there's a process there's an initiation there's a something that goes along with it all of those intricacies all that nuance was just like thrown the fuck out the window that's fine if you tell me out and out that those are the rules of the world but you've set this in a world that is real and exists so i'm like that is frustrating to me beyond that that's fine. But I just think it should have been, I think there should have been more constructive world building around that. You guys can't see, but the way you you just spoke with your hands was so compelling. (laughs) I think the character, the pregnant girl was almost like the only semblance that we got of, uh, it's not really about your exact blood makeup. It's more of like how you embody and embrace uh the ways of the tribe even if you are mainly white because they never explicitly say she's white we just know she's white enough to get the disease her character is white enough to get it but also not white enough to be accepted or something along that sort and then also her pregnancy of the child presumably i mean in my head when i was watching it i was like oh the baby is totally gonna make her immune to getting it because her baby would be half but um apparently not that's not how that worked and we don't know about the child yeah Yeah, i was like was the baby immune or was it because she was bitten the baby came out with it like i was it was a bit unclear but because this movie is written and directed and starring indigenous people i'm going to take it as i it is not my place yeah, I, I also was going to comment on the monstrous womb vibes and saying, like, I didn't realize that the, um, I didn't ever interpret her as part of the tribe. I thought she was just, like, a white, like, someone who's moved there. I don't know. Well, it didn't necessarily seem like it was a closed off uh, reservation. And I thought that was kind of, like, I, I didn't necessarily think it was, like, separate in the same way that some might be. That's why I thought that I just thought she was, like someone whose event whose family has moved there and now she lives there i didn't think she was part of the tribe so that's an interesting interpretation i didn't really consider going off of she's white and not part of the tribe um then i was wondering about the baby too i think like is the baby gonna be the cure then 
Like, because she was bitten. It's very, like, Monsters Room, like, well, what is the baby going to be? Because she was bitten while she was pregnant. And I was like, is this baby going to have, like, because he had the indigenous immunity, but he was bitten, is it going to be, like, a situation where they can be the savior and that's problematic? It was very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, very weird use of mixed in general. I don't know why there were no black people in this movie. I'm not just saying this is a black person. I just know that there are black people in Canada. <laughs> I was a bit confused. <laughs> So Asian people. I, I was like, where is everyone else in 1980? Did we not, were we, were black people and Asian people not invented? Not yet. <laughs> like, not in Quebec, apparently. I was a bit confused about that. I think it's because like the history between indigenous people in Canada and America is more based on white violence than anybody mm-hmm. else really doing anything. However, we do have to think about uh, there were... Uh, Native people in America who did own slaves. Slaves and Native American people overlapped in the U.S. But this is set in Canada, so I'm going to disassociate that from my mind. But yeah, I was just a bit confused about why everybody was just white or Native in the movie. Um, It just felt odd. It gave me, it reminded me of The Handmaiden's Tale when I watched it. And I was like, did everyone else go instinct? Because we never talk about like how any other race reacts to the Zed virus. So I was like, was everybody else dying? Because yeah. what, did, what did black people do to deserve dying from this disease? We, we got colonized too. So, so, so yeah, I get it. You're like, what the fuck? The whole immunity plot meant that I think, then you're right. Like, what if there were Asian people or black people? Like, what was their immunity status? So I think maybe... In order to like drive home their point, the director might have made some yeah. decisions. I mean, but to be fair, collectively, we all do have beef with colonization, colonialism, white people killing us during those days. We all do have the same beef there. I, here's what I imagine. Can I write the ending for myself? I think everyone who's not white, if they're not, I was going to say like maybe they don't get immunity but maybe they can't become, you know? Oh, wait, they can still murk you. They can still get you, though. Damn, everyone can die from them. Never mind. <laughs> they can still... But I don't think it's about necessarily... I didn't necessarily know... Oh, no, that doesn't make sense either. Because I was going to say, maybe it's not about... Well, I was going to say, maybe it's not about race. Maybe it's about, like, the bond of the tribe. But then I was like, but that don't make sense because when the when the guy betrays the tribe, then technically he should stop being immune, right? But, like, that's yeah. not Why how it Why did he works. betray the... I have no idea. I want to talk about I that. I think he was angry because they let in outsiders who then uh, ran the he risk was, of infecting them. He then. Yeah, he was, but... And I think it was more about, like, uh, he didn't ever really feel like he was accepted. So the fact that they accepted in these other people... Um, who obviously weren't immune. So it was basically like, we got to take care of these people, keep them safe, make sure they don't turn, which is a task that I was confused why anyone would take on. But I do think it was a great metaphor for how people, well, how indigenous people initially uh, may have been nice to white settlers. And because of that, people within tribes um, either didn't want to be a product of the tribe anymore, had violent reactions, but there was like rifts being created and then you eventually have the arrival of the white man is the collapse of indigenous civilization which is they created this world which the white people never were able to create because they were all dying from disease which is exactly what they did everywhere when they came they were all dying from disease being stank and unable to eat (laughs) 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 and like this paradise that they had created that was safe secure 
had food, had water, everyone's needs were met. When they brought these people in, it just triggered, I think, in him the sense of, well, no one has made me feel welcome, but they welcomed in, welcomed in these people that could bring the collapse of our civilization. So I'm gonna bring it the collapse for yeah. you. I think it was sort of like a retaliation to you didn't accept me. So I'm gonna bring it down for you. That's the best explanation that I've heard for it. And maybe it patches it up slightly in my head. But for me, I was just like, it seems counterintuitive that like you want belonging so you then decide to destroy the thing that you're so desperately craving like that you so desperately want to belong to. I don't know. I feel like I would have believed it more if he had just been like if it had been an accident. Like the fact that he was like, "Well, I'm going to leave because I'm sick of, you know, for exactly the reasons you just said, Taya." And then he accidentally in the processes of like leaving, less like accidentally one gets in or something like that. Like that's kind of would have been more. I just didn't understand the whole like his betrayal. It, to me, it wasn't like it didn't feel like there was that much compelling. It. I don't know. The characterization didn't quite follow through with that. But I don't think we really knew any of these characters, with the exception of the the guy and his girlfriend who was pregnant. I don't think we really got to know that many of the characters enough to know what their personalities would be like. And that's kind of a critique because I just don't think the characterization was deep enough for me to really know what the characters would and wouldn't do. I just know, knew that the guy loved his girlfriend and I guess people liked her. Um, I do like that they did bring up the drug problem that is on a lot of reservations at the beginning of the film with the guy with his crackhead white girlfriend um, who was the like first zombie that I don't think she was the first one but I did like that they brought that up and it's also partially like also thought it, the lack of resources that the sheriff's department had and how they didn't have enough cells and I do think the fact that Lysol's character was like in the jail we're supposed to know that he's not a good guy from the beginning I think we're supposed to attempt, uh, know that he's not a great person because he was in that jail at the beginning but I do think it's interesting to show like the lack of resources how drugs can be an issue on reservations I don't think he's a clear-cut villain at all you I don't know? think he's a clear-cut yeah. villain but I do think we're supposed to um we're supposed to assess that like um, he he's not really accepted. He kind of gets into trouble. And so it's not necessarily shocking that he does have this spiral of anger where he betrays everybody. But uh, yeah, I think his character was nice in terms of it represented how easy it is to fall in with the wrong crowd or do bad things when you are put in a situation where you aren't receiving proper funding. And there are so many issues with drugs, not having enough share funding not having enough funding for schools because those are real issues i feel like you're convincing me that this film is more has more depth than it does when you're adding in more <laughs> layers i love the points you're making but i don't really think the film communicated them to me at least and we're like it's always going to be different like to an indigenous viewer like what they get from the film especially emotionally but i feel like his character was like a weird cartoon Dennis the Menace type villain mm. and maybe that was the portrayal of it that's the issue but I felt like he wasn't real I, I agree with you I, I I did not I didn't really um I guess I didn't I missed this drug reference about the girlfriend so I maybe I'm just uh, uh with the wife sorry with the baby um maybe I've missed that maybe I've missed bits but uh, yeah he's he I didn't really get his characterization I don't think it was strong enough to show why he was so angry to me either i think he was just kind of like i'm angsty and that was it for me zeba why don't you think he's a a fully you you were like oh he's definitely not just a villain and i i didn't i don't know if i agree so i want to hear your side of it 
I mean, yeah, maybe I'm giving too much credit to the origin story as Taya is. It's like, yeah, the situation is the villain. And it's like, I also think that we're like, if you look at the situation, we're looking at the situation retrospectively in the same way that we're looking at history retrospectively. It's like, damn, they shouldn't have let those white people in. It's like, they didn't even know what a white people was. In this situation, they have a little bit more knowledge of it, but it is a new disease a new infection a new something so it's also like operating with very little knowledge and people have to they could look back on the situation and be like damn we shouldn't have let folks in it just mm-hmm. it could have it could have gone left so i i think i think it, it, it wasn't excellent character building but i do think there was an attempt at like m- making it more gray and less black and white you know i think i get like I get maybe the betrayal. I just don't get the psychotic level he takes the betrayal to, like where he yeah. actively rounds up people and feeds them to the zombies. I think that's where I'm just yeah. like, what? Like, that's where it was just like, you're a cartoon villain. This is like the same criticism I had of like Game of Thrones where uh, where Cersei decides to blow up everyone in that fucking church and it's like green fucking fire. But I like, it, I actually like that scene in Game of Thrones. I didn't dislike it, but it was a very cartoon villain moment. And this is like, yeah, I was like, I didn't think that this, the leap from like, I'm angry at my family. I'm angry for that they let in white settlers, which white settlers, <laughs> white people. <laughs> I was like, understand, understand, love the twist on history. Like, I, I think that's a really creative use of like a zombie lore for indigenous populations from my perspective, which is obviously not an indigenous one. So I don't know if that's whatever, if my analysis is weighs that much but i just mean like i thought that was creative but i didn't understand the leap from like anger to like full psychotic here you go i'm gonna like round you in i'm gonna use you as bait (laughs) maybe we could if we don't view him explicitly as uh necessarily like a villain but instead as a metaphor for what came after letting white people in um in this situation and in history was uh this mass death and so once they came in rather than he himself like seeing the character as a villain viewing him as the agent of chaos that actually came from the arrival of the white people here's the thing i think it's just like not a careful enough tool because Mm -hmm. like I always have a problem with and like I want to see how the new Candyman goes because of this and also reference to the old Candyman when it's like a person turning on their own people and as like Mm -hmm. the tool of the oppressor as the tool of the colonizer or whatever. I think that happens actually in a, a lot more movies than we think it does and like it it reminds me of y'all know I'm not afraid to say it I'll say it on this podcast y'all can come after me I do not like childish gambino particularly in like the this is america video when he decides to like be the person holding the gun and turn around to the choir months after that real life shooting had happened it doesn't matter if you think it looks cinematic you're a black person holding a gun to black people and in reality it was a white person and i think we need to acknowledge that sometimes it's not like the spooky hand of colonialism sometimes it's just a white person that kill like like straight out and out and it, and i think sometimes and candyman does this too in like in an attempt to like be deeper or more cinematic there's this like puppet villain that they use like who's on the inside and i just i i see what people are trying to do and for sure there are those real life 
moments throughout history for all different situations but i just like just because it's a horror movie like does that have to be the villain like there can be all that gore if you want but like is it is it more or less traumatic to see it coming from an insider than an outsider i don't know i think the only movie that does as well is judas and the black messiah and the reason least, it does as well yeah. is because it's true <laughs> Because it has in that to situation, be true. it's true. But in this one, yeah, his character, it becomes hard to define because it's just not clear why it went as bad as it did. I'm I'm trying to give meaning to this, but I just, I, I don't think it was the best choice. You're giving it the black, the black Christmas remake treatment. Like, yeah, <laughs> you are. <laughs> you want it to be better than it is. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like, okay. I didn't dislike the film. I just had, there was certain, similarly with um, Sugar Hill, Sugar Hill, uh, also Sugar Hill also has a black guy who's on the, in the mobster and operating as like an agent of racism. There's literally too. always a black cop in every black exploitation movie. I don't know. I was about like, to say, oh, that was my finished point about oppressor, which was like, oh, we don't always need to like become the oppressor to yeah. be like, to see empowerment. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree with like, there's always like an insider, like, or someone from the own race who's like betraying. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how often does that happen to like how often it's represented cinematically i mean i think studios really enjoy the story of someone from the same race as them betraying them or treating them poorly rather than like the reverse and i think because there's so little representation for a lot of different groups in hollywood or in film in general it becomes like an issue of like is all representation good representation because it gives more of like a face to the struggles of community or what goes on or gives children something to watch and see themselves in or should people be more strict about what they view as empowering because of how things aren't necessarily always perfect as but we were saying this earlier with like feminine representation and horror and the links between that are so hard because so many people view things as view empowerment differently because I have this movie actually has really good reviews and it seems like a lot of people like it I see people post about it all the time um and I think it was like a really big deal that this movie was made yeah so I'm trying not to be too critical of it because I realize that I'm viewing this from a different gaze because I myself am not um an indigenous person I mean at least not to America because <laughs> I am black <laughs> So I, I don't want to project anything or my own views onto something for content that is created for a specific person and that a lot of Indigenous people had a part of. I feel like it, it, I don't want to step out of my lane and be offensive, but I do feel like maybe there are parts of this movie, and I would say even like not on a not horror movie scale, like Crazy Rich Asians, that sometimes representation itself can have like these little problematic things that people ignore because of the bigger picture of it but I think studios are still approved to this day a certain image of what they want to portray which is a major problem and why we need so many more people of color and BIPOC people involved in filmmaking and given opportunities to make films because as long as you have these gatekeepers in the industry you're just going to have these this repeated cycle of imperfect representation until we have uh, more people of uh, BIPOC people in power in the film industry we will not get perfect representation we ha- people have to do better because people deserve better representation and I don't know how people feel 
feel about this movie. It is not my place to say, but I just know in general, I think people deserve more opportunities to make content so that people can have things that make them feel empowered and they don't have to accept things that they do think are imperfect. There's an interesting book that, by Anamik Saha about race in the cultural industries, and it talks exactly about that being saying that the rep- sorry, there's far too much emphasis on representation when it comes to it and not enough on production. Mm-hmm. And actually, like, also the system of ratings and stuff, which still appeals to a white sensibility. So even when, like, people of color get to commission their own stuff or get to make their own stuff and get the funding for it they're still trying to appeal sometimes to a mass market or else the show might get cancelled like there's a lot of politics at play and why it like even representation that's made by people of color sometimes fails and it's because of crossing um forces i'm an advocate of like mediocrity of all kinds like i think streaming services have these kind of budgets where they'll just like shoot money at a project and see if it lands and they don't really review them very carefully and but i low-key love that because we get a lot of like we get a lot of bad content but we also get a lot of content that would not have been made otherwise and a lot of people get to just sort of like shoot their shot and throw their script at the wall and see if it sticks and i really love that and Hey, Shudder, sponsor us. Um, (laughs) But, like, I I think it's it makes for a more diverse mediascape, and I always say that, like, if there is mediocre content, there's always room for very good content. It just means it's not, it's a difference of representation. Like, I want quantity, and I'll find the quality within it. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, that's true but then i noticed that a lot of particularly if we're talking about queer films i'm thinking here like i am not okay with this pose like all like a lot of them get canceled early on and i get annoyed on streaming platforms because they still have to appeal to ratings so that's the only thing i'll say about that like the initial conception of like what gets produced is like i think more you're right can potentially lead to more diverse choice but then they get canceled but the other thing i was gonna say ty is i really i too am struggling with this in the in the sense of like the gays because I was like I'm not an indigenous person and I like that it was written by indigenous people and also has indigenous actors like it doesn't try necessarily to do a a Jacob from Twilight scenario but (laughs) I gotta bring a Twilight reference in somewhere so I, I I understand like I think there are some things as well like the characterization I don't think the reason why I don't think it's a bad movie because of that like where it fails with characterization and inconsistencies with his character is because I also think this is a horror and sometimes characterization is sacrificed in horror in general it's so true just to get to the action so I'm not gonna like try to like say it's like this is a huge flaw and this is why I can't enjoy the movie because I'm like eh, it's a ho-. like I forgive this in horror sometimes as well because it's like they're just skipping to the gore of the zombie and I mm-hmm. get that there should have been more nuance to have that character and more explanation but like we don't have the fucking time. We just want to see people get eaten sometimes. So I kind of, I, I, I kind of vibe with that. On the sort of point about gays too, which was something I was tr- struggling to interpret a certain scene, which was the grandpa's self-sacrifice at the end. It was very sad, but I was like, I was like, I don't know. It's written by an indigenous person for indigenous audiences, presumably as well, obviously. Like and. I didn't understand the grandpa's decision to stay. I was like, I couldn't tell if it was one that indigenous audiences would like relate to, like, oh, yes, the connection to the land, or if it was like almost a frustrating stereotype of like, would someone be that committed that they would self-sacrifice? Because um, like, I 
also isn't there like a big emphasis on like cultures dying out and like protecting the elders and like preserving like things that only the elders know and can pass down so that was like I was like this is hard because I would want to like ask like an indigenous person what they thought about it kind of thing like oh is that a scene that's relatable or is that a frustrating scene or is it both like I don't know or is it neither maybe I have it wrong there's a book that you should read called um body paint feathers and vcrs and it's all about it's called strategic essentialism which is when you like in media create an image that's useful rather than an image that's authentic because it, it you know pushes forward a message and so they'll do this a lot with documentaries that include indigenous populations where they're like dress a certain way or like do this certain thing and but it's the urgency of the situation is like the by definition and it's like unfortunate that like by definition indigeneity is tied to the land like there's no separating it for any indigenous population anywhere and that applies to like why indigenous people so often have to be environmentalists they don't want to have to be environmentalists but be, but when by definition your like culture is tied to the land like that becomes like part of the job and then there's also a media image of what that job looks like to the outsider and what it does and so like so often indigenous media has to like emphasize it like hey we are this committed to the issue of land and people land and community like to like re-emphasize it over and over and over again not be like not because it's a stereotype but because it like is the truth of the situation and it Mm -hmm. i think it's interesting that it was one character and not all of them i think that's an important thing to note is like we're also talking about the politics of like we were talking about earlier in survival and zombie movies like who is disposable i think that was like a thing of age it's a it's a you know, it was a, it was a choice that's made in a lot of other zombie movies that like the old person sacrifices himself or the world is not worth living in, and that's a sacrifice we as young people at the beginning of the episode that's said true. that we would make. <laughs> so I think like I, I really understand like a lot of indigenous media makers are have said like over and over that like there's a reason we're talking about the land over and over and over again, and it's and it's because it is like central to the storytelling it's central to the identity it's central to the definition of like how we define the word in every space that we will use it in unless it's like diasporic but i viewed that as like this would happen in any other movie and that i'm associating a sacrifice for the land to indigeneity is both a fault of the media maker and a reality of the situation you know that's really interesting. You're telling the story that needs to be told because there's an urgency. The way that like all zombie movies are urgent. Land is urgent. The earth is urgent. Disease is urgent. Population is urgent. And all of those things yeah. are tied to the definition of what it is to be indigenous to a place. I think he I think he actually does say I'm not leaving this land again. That he has a line that's like, yeah. Because I'm sure they were like relocated too. Zaba, you mentioned how like zombie movies trigger that like climate anxiety and actually something that I loved about this film compared to like Train Busan where the origin of the zombie virus comes from a lab here they make um I can't remember which character it was I want to say it was Gary Farmer's character but I don't think it was he makes like an environmentalist theory that it's like the planet being kind of like fuck you Mm -hmm. to its inhabitants and how like again going back to that lack of a sense of community and responsibility that we've seen countries like where we live as they respond to a global crisis I think 
the indigenous community in this film, their instinct is to band together and as a community and create like a welcoming place. Like at the end of the day, end of the day, they let in those outsiders, those white people. And I think that 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 makes like the grandpa's sacrifice, like, I don't know, so much more poignant because he, like you say, like he's obviously in age is a factor because he's kind of come to the realization that he's old enough to feel like he can let go, but also in a principled way, being able to die on his own terms on their own land, that being so tied to their identity, the land and environmentalism. I think it was really interesting that they made, they hypothesized that like the um, origin of this particular virus in this film was perhaps to do with Mm. environment or climate. Like that definitely felt like something that isn't often done. And it's so different when a white person is like, this is my land. You know it's coming from a weird place. Like, (laughs) it's just fundamentally, like, it has bad vibes, and you can tell the difference. (laughs) We've kind of said, like, and it's sometimes fair, because there, I think, like, the indigenous writer was literally referencing, like, this irony in terms of, like, white settlers and the diseases. But I think we've been saying a lot of, like, oh, they let white people in, and we shouldn't, like, understate the actual violence of colonialism and that it wasn't just like oh they let them in like it's like they open the gates and white people come in. like yeah. obviously it was like a really violent process so we should probably say for the record that we do know that like it wasn't like oh they came in and that's why colonial hap- colonialism happened because or genocide happened because of the natives is because of this violent process and loads of other things i'm am i remembering were they infected in the end the white people who show up yeah, they were. Yeah. They both were. I yeah, think. they were bitten and they didn't tell. That's the other thing. I don't understand in general. Because I was like, why would you, if you know what happens when you're bit, like, I guess because they thought there might be a cure because they weren't infected. I guess that's why they I think they, they honestly legitimately go. didn't care what disease they were bringing. They just wanted to, the temporary safety. And they were like, well, if they, they're functioning, they should help me. No, but there was a, the dad, remember, who wanted to um, save his daughter. And he was like, you you have a cure. Because they weren't infected. So they were like, you must have a cure or something. I think he says there was like some argument. And he's like, you can cure. Can you cure? Like maybe you can find. Some- oh, that is why they traveled there. Because he, yeah, cause he, he wanted, his daughter was bitten. Yeah. And so, he said, I thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right on the other characters, though. I think perhaps they were just chaotic and friggin' selfish and did not give a fuck but i think like there was some white people who were just like oh you might be able to help us because you you might you're immune like maybe you can help and they would later bring chaos and call it thanksgiving anyway (laughs) the bigger problem than the dead walking around townies the live breathing ones they're coming across in almost the same numbers some people in red crow don't like it but we got to do right by survivors we need to talk about the teeth moment in this film Teeth. Teeth. <gasps> Teeth. Teeth. I forgot I blocked it out. It was horrible. Whose dick was it? It was Lysol. Ly- Ly- but was it actually or was he faking it? I thought he set it up because or did it actually happen? What? I'm so confused. I was like pretty sure she actually ate his dick. I don't know because then he was like walking around like he was like he was like bloody and whatever. Okay, maybe. But why would he set that up? 
But you said on the the teeth episode when I said she was not committing murder by cutting, biting off their dicks. You were like, he, they would die from that. <laughs> he did not die from that. That's, no, that's part so, of the reason. <laughs> he did not die from that. So I'm with Louisa. I think he was pretending. But why would he pretend? I'm so confused. But he set up the whole situation like it was conspiracy. Like he. But that he, wasn't needed. Why? Where did he get that penis? I'm so confused. He just got it off someone else. He's like, I don't know. What is this? Is what I mean? What kind of what the fuck is going on in this guy's head? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so teeth moment was confusing. Um, <laughs> great, <laughs> that's fun. Also, his death scene. Like, I don't normally feel nauseous in horror movies, but that made me physically quite nauseous. Actually, what I really liked was that towed the line between like aestheticized violence and actually quite grotesque violence. Like, I was always. I wasn't quite able to, to like dissociate and be like movie magic, but I also wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like completely horrified and like, Oh God, I'm actually watching someone die. It was like yeah. in that sweet spot in between. Yeah. I think like hereditary is like one of those films where while I was watching, I was like, Oh, this is a lot. And I felt like I was actually watching someone die. This felt like I was watching a movie. Zeba, I thought maybe you were like overreacting when you said that you didn't like zombies. Because we, before when we discussed, you're like, I don't like zombie movies, they're the scariest. But then I realized that I think I agree with you. I think when I was watching this, I was like, I totally, I, ha- I don't think I've been like exposed to very good um, zombie films. And now that I have been, I was like, this is a terrifying genre. I can see why it's so popular in horror. Me and my mom was in the military and she can, she can shoot very well. I'm not that, I'm not that terrified. <laughs> of that type of thing i feel like as long as you have survival skills um that i don't i don't that's why i don't i was just about to say i think the human spirit is a lot more persevering than people know you guys are saying you would give up but i think you, your your will to survive in that scenario would be a lot higher than you expect it would be you're overestimating <laughs> <laughs> With my best efforts, I don't think I'd last very long. Oh, I, th- yeah. I think you would. So we have the like settler proverb mm-hmm. at the beginning. At the end, they've the mom and the son and the baby have escaped on the boat. Did you see the boat as like a sort of like inverted settler boat situation, or is that me um, reading too much into it? Because I really I felt like actually it was like quite strong the imagery, but then I I didn't like know really what it meant. But it felt like quite deliberate. I really like that. Thanks, babe. I did not think of that though. I didn't think of it either. But I think you. Yeah, could I didn't. Be think right. it, yeah, it was good. I'm not sure what like the concluding remark would be of that. Do they have like a uh, quote at the ending, ending credits? I kind of turned oh, on the no, movie too quick no. to know. I don't think so. I think you're just left unknown of like what the baby and the world and everything will bring. I don't like, and we saw it in Train to Busan as well. I don't like the use of babies in apocalypse situations. Having pregnant women, having babies, it's normally pregnant women who either give birth at the end. I don't know. It's like it's such an overdone metaphor. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts to be our next Witch of the Week. We also have a TikTok. Follow us at The Monstrous Feminine for podcast clips and more fun. Rooms up, witches out.